hardly ever as a young millennial white woman do I go, aw, old white men. Like, that's just not... Hi, and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. Today, I do not have Thomas with me, but we have a returning guest podcaster joining me. I'd like to welcome Amy Tibbett Madrid back to the show. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm not as nervous this time. Good. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm happy to have you back on, uh, especially for our Screwball Comedy Month. Yeah. It's, a, it's an older movie, and it's always fun to bring, I mean... To bring some of my friends on to talk about older films they might not have seen. And today's movie out, you had never seen before, correct? Correct. Never seen it. <laughs> I have never seen most movies from this time period. So, like, it wasn't really so hard to do. We're getting it. You guys are going to be getting a first-hand review today. Yeah, of, pretty much. This is <laughs> <of small> comedies. <laughs> this is brand new. Yeah. So, so, we are now on our third episode of our month-long journey through the screwball comedy genre. And for today's movie, we are talking about the 1941 film Ball of Fire, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper. Before we dive into that film, I wanted to give you all a brief recap of what we've talked about so far this month. And so we talked about how the screwball comedy genre originated during the Great Depression and in the 1930s. And that's why the screwball comedy genre was very much used as escapism during this time in uh, American history. And before this, there were romantic comedies, but these romantic comedies were more focused on the romance aspect of the film and would classify almost as sappy to some extent. So not as much about the comedy part. And the screwball comedy tended to be more of a satirical version of love or spoofing love, as some might say. Um, and also with me, these these comedies, it's not really in this one, Maybe a little bit. Uh, there's also a class division um, within some of the characters involved in the film. But also, we talked about how the genre is known for its fast-paced or witty dialogue. It doesn't always have to be fast-paced, as we'll find out today. <laughs> um, and the main reason for this was because the production code that was put in place in 1934, um, this production code uh, was basically as a form of self-censorship so that the American government wouldn't step in and kind of censor Hollywood films. This is their own way of doing it. Uh, and do the production code, really any references of sex or sexual conduct were toned down or cut. So filmmakers had to find more ways to uh, portray flirtation or romance in these movies. And so they used dialogue as that replacement. Uh, mm. As film critic Andrew Sarris would, had, would say later say is that screwball comedies are sex comedies without the sex. <laughs> Um, and as we talked we talked about before, many of the screwball comedies had character archetypes. And since the screwball comedy was at the time was known for being a little bit more female centric genre compared to other films of the time, uh, the most fair, famous character of the genre is the Hoxian woman. And this type of character was usually, they would say, a tough talking woman who was shown as an equal in some cases to the leading male and could go could basically have a a battle of wits with him in many of the movies. Um, but today we're going to talk a little bit more about that character because we're discussing a film that was directed by Howard Hawks, which is uh, where the name Hoxian Woman uh, gets its name from because he directed many films that had several confident but more complex women than what people had seen before 
Uh, we'll go into that a little bit today. I, uh, did you invite me on this podcast because you know that I am a Hoxian woman at heart? <laughs> I, I really re- appreciate that and uh, just wanted to uh, self-identify here at the beginning of the podcast for listeners to know. That I am a real life Hoxian woman. I'm a real life Hoxian woman. That's the expertise that I bring to this show today. Let me tell you how how, how Barbara Stanwyck and me are alike in many yeah. ways. So so yeah. So today we're talking about uh, Ballafire and Ballafire. If you have not seen it, you can watch on Watch TCM. We've talked about we really talked about this app a lot lately. These last two. Uh, episodes. All these films are on there for some reason. Um, but this is also available to available to, to watch on Canopy and Pluto TV, and you can rent the film or buy the film on Amazon, Apple TV, wherever you get your, wherever you get your movies from. Um, so today's movie is 19, 1941 film Ball of Fire, and as we said, the film is directed by Howard Hawks, who directed such screwball comedies as Bringing a Baby in 1938, starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, and also His Girl Friday, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell in 1940. Uh, he would later go on to direct such classics as The Big Sleep and To Have and Have Not with Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart and Red River and Rio Bravo with John Wayne. Two leading stars of Ball of Fire are Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper, two of the biggest stars of this era. Um, The crew of the film is also quite interesting. The film was co-written by famed writing duo Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett, who will later receive massive success in the the coming decade. Um, The film was produced by Samuel Goldwyn, who, even though he he never worked for the company, he is the G in MGM Studios, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. The last person I wanted to mention, too, uh, is the director of photography of the film, and that is Greg Tolan. And for those that don't know, Tolan was the cinematographer of many classic films, but his most famous and innovative work was for Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, which was actually released only a few months before Ball of Fire. Really? Yes. Who knew? From Citizen Kane to Ball of Fire. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Citizen Kane came out in July, and uh, that would be his bigger work. Uh, he did three films in the year of 1941. And then real quick, uh, here's, before we get into thoughts, Ball of Fire, here's the plot. Ball of Fire is about a group of professors that have been tasked to write a massive encyclopedia book set when the youngest of their group, Bertram Potts, Professor Bertram Potts, played by Gary Cooper, realizes that their section on slang is incredibly outdated. So Professor Potts leaves their living quarters and office and ventures out to the hustle and bustle of New York City to learn what what slang is being spoken by the common folks today. Um, That night, he encounters a nightclub performer by the name of Sugar Puss O'Shea, which is just a terrible name. Um, I'm going to be super uncomfortable. But very very 1940s slang for some reason, which we find out. Uh, And she provides a vast knowledge of modern slang. When her gangster boyfriend is caught up in a murder case, O'Shea needs to hide from the cops. So she takes Bertram's offer of helping the professors out, but only if she can stay at their shared living quarters as a way to hide from the cops. So, Amy. Yes. What did you think of this film? Brief thoughts. My brief thoughts are <laughs> <clears throat> initial thoughts. I'm going to give my positive first because I always yeah. like to start things off on, on a positive note. Um, I thought it was adorable in moments. The professors were so cute and adorable. And it's hard, like hardly ever as a young millennial white woman 
do I go, aw, old white men. Like, that's just not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that old. so rarely comes out of my mouth yeah. these days. So, yeah. so it was nice to see these adorable men being so, you know, like supporting their fellow man and being like a family and, and really yeah. good upstanding gentlemen. I really liked that. But yeah, that's kind of my first thoughts is um, it's it, it was really adorable. I do think it's problematic yeah. in places, but, um, but yeah, overall, I think it was, uh, it was cute. Yeah. It's a, uh, with this one, I know we, we've, we've talked about like the fast paced dialogue and kind of the, the, the wittiness and there is wit in the movie, but it is very much a slower film. Um, yes. Than what when then what I remembered from the first time I saw it. Well, I didn't know if it was just me that felt that way because I texted you in the middle of watching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I had watched uh, His Girl Friday. Yes. Immediately before, before this. watching this yeah. movie, um, and so yeah, it felt really. It did feel really slow. Yeah. By compare, and I don't know if that was just comparative, and I couldn't tell if it was comparatively or if it was really slow. It, it, I don't think it's really slow. I think it's it's in comparison, I guess, to the genre, if that makes sense. Right. It's like, and when you're following His Girl Friday, which is known for its like rapid fire pace, right. um, anything you watch will feel slow. Um, but it's still like I I had made a comment, and we'll go into this a little bit later. But it gets very chaotic in the last like twenty minutes of the film, and I was like, "Where was this at the the, the, for the rest?" Yeah, of the- <laughs> like where where was this whole? Yeah. And, and I should say too to clarify, I think it's yeah. the dialogue that is slow, not the pacing of the film necessarily. I think the pacing is fine. It's the dialogue that felt slow because the the dialogue is very like. No, I was just gonna. I think it's because a the slang and b he's a a, a gram grammarist. Am I saying that yes. right? That's yeah. He yeah, I, he's, yeah. yeah he's yeah he's, he's like a a, he's, the, he's their English he's their English English guy. guy. That's yeah. that's yeah. He's their English <laughs> professor guy. So yeah. essentially, um, I think that. That I think that that's probably why it was the language was slower is yes, because you know yes. they wanted you to they really wanted you to hear all of the differences in all of the words and really catch that. Um, so I think that was probably why it was slower. Yeah, it's it's like the yeah hit hit Gary Cooper's speak is very like multiple syllables with every word. Yes, uh, and or two dollar words is that is that the the phrase two dollars. Yeah, the the, the little the newspaper guy, the little the kid, yeah, the newsboy. They're two dollar words. Two dollar words. When, <laughs> when 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 the uh uh when the common folks or the the regular people, the New York City folks, are right. using like smackaroos or like <laughs> smackaroos means dollars and like or um, moolah, uh, moolah, yeah. And so it's all these different things. So there's a I, I think because the language is just so complex, and you really like. I don't, it's not saying you're, it's going so fast you're trying to keep up. I think they're trying to slow it down to where you can try to make sense of what they're saying because right. they absolutely. went so fast it would not make sense. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know if they were aware of like how like if like if it would become dated very quickly because like sure. the slang sure. is very much of the era. Um, and I bet the audience has got a kick out of what this. What do you mean you're not using these words? 
You're yeah, not using no. these words in your daily it's smackaroos. You're not well. Like, like, yeah, some <laughs> stuff, like some stuff, I knew. Just like I, I, it's like because like they, they um, I'll get in this later, but they kind of like break down corny at one point. Corny, um, yeah, which is, which, which is, was uh, still accurate. It's still very much. accurate. Yes, yeah. yeah. But so there's some words that we're able to kind of, which is with any kind of language, is that some words were carried on and became part of the vernacular, right? Um, when others were just very much of that era, yeah. Like one of my one of my favorite examples of that is there's a lot of movie references weirdly in this film that if you are not aware of the era or even like know where to look, you're not going to catch them. It's funny that you should talk about that because um, I know that Thomas really likes Gilmore Girls, so I'm going to step yeah. in for that lack of Gilmore. <laughs> Gr- I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do my best. It should be easy. It's yeah. my favorite show, yeah. um, but. I was reading like this thing from Amy Sherman Palladino where she was like, everybody can Google it. Like we don't really yeah. worry about, you know, cause Marvelous, like Marvelous Maisel, it's set in mm-hmm. like the fifties and sixties, like sixties. And, um, and she was saying that she wasn't worried about making references that were accurate to that time period. Cause now people can just Google them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's funny how we worried about that for so long. And now we really don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that anymore. No. Like you can make as many references yeah. as you want because yeah. from whenever, that wasn't really Gilmore Girls. That was really just Amy Sherman Palladino. But yeah, <laughs> but we'll get more into references because there's a big reference in this movie that's actually part of the plot, and and I don't know if Amy caught it or not. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we'll, let's get in the brief history of how this got made. Um, so since I can't find a lot of information on this, I'll try to paint a picture of where everyone was at in their careers at the time of this film. So we have to start with Billy Wilder. Um, who's one of the co-writers. Wilder was born in 1906 in Austria-Hungary, which is now Poland. Uh, In the late 1920s, Billy Wilder moved to Berlin, Germany, uh, which at that time was becoming a little bit of a hot spot for artists, uh, which is something Thomas and I talked about previously in November on our episode about Fritz Lang, the German film director. Um, But in similar fashion as Lang, Wilder fled Germany when Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party began began to gain popularity in the country. But while in Germany, Wilder wrote a short story titled From A to Z. When he came over to America, a fellow writer by the name of Thomas Monroe helped Wilder Americanize the story. That short short story became the basis of the screenplay for Ball of Fire. Um, Billy Wilder and his co-writer partner, Charles Brackett, would then continue working on the idea in screenplay form. Producer Samuel Goldwyn decided to produce the film through his company, Samuel Goldwyn Productions, but even though Wilder was wanting to direct his own film, making this his directorial debut, Goldwyn decided to go with a more experienced director, Howard Hawks. And Howard Hawks had just directed several films that would later become classics like Bring Up Baby, His Girl Friday, Only Angels Have Wings, and Sergeant York, which came out in 1941 as well, and also starred Gary Cooper. Um, After finishing Sergeant York, Hawks began work on Ball of Fire. Uh, Cooper was cast probably because of their work together on York. Um, and there would be several actresses that were in the running for uh, Sugar Push O'Shea. Her real name is Catherine O'Shea. So we're going to refer to her as that from now on. Or Shuggy. Or Shuggy. Shuggy. Yeah. Shuggy. Uh, Catherine or Shuggy or O'Shea. Um, but Barbara Stanwyck entered the picture when Gary Cooper suggested to her. Uh, Gary Cooper suggested to Howard Hawks that she would be a good fit for the role. Cooper and Stanwyck had just worked together on the Frank Capra film Meet John Doe, which was also released earlier in the year. So that's how our players came together. But Amy, 
Can you give me one of your favorite scenes from the movie? I really liked the trivia scene with the garbage guy, like right off the bat. That was one of my favorite scenes. I thought it was a really cute way to introduce like the plot line. And personally, the garbage man was one of my favorite characters. I just thought he was, he was just so funny and so charismatic and I liked him. Um, So that was one of my favorites. It also just shows kind of like it establishes, um, all of their relationships in a way or all their kind of characters. Right. The expertise. Yeah. No, yeah. like what yeah. their expertise was. Yeah. Exactly. Like you got a guy who's, oh, he's the history guy. So he knows the stuff about Cleopatra. How did Cleopatra die? Oh, a snake bitter. Yeah. Um, And then like they go to Gary Cooper because Gary Cooper is the English professor or the English experts for right. their, for their group. And it's there to establish like what's going to happen for the later is that he's going to be obsessed with slang. And yeah, it establishes that, that that they're being paid. I I found it so funny is they're being paid by this dead guy. It's his estate to write this encyclopedia because he was upset he was left out of other encyclopedias. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like he was left out of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and yeah. I liked um, Mrs. Tr- Miss Trotter, right? Or yes. Totten? Is it Totten or yeah. Trotter? Miss Totten. Totten. See, I knew, I knew. Um, yeah, Miss Totten, when she talks about, like, do you know, they're like, what started this? And she was like, ego, hurt pride. <laughs> I was like, that sounds about right. Like some dude was really upset that he got left out of this thing. And uh, literally some old white guy's FOMO is what leads us to this situation. Yeah. And, and like, and the crazy part, I want to get the actual, like, they spent so much money yeah, how make, much was it? It was it was two hundred and thirty eight thousand dollars <laughs> to write an encyclopedia book set, which today is four point two million dollars. <laughs> that's incredible. That's, that's how 4. much. Four point two million dollars. And then the the uh, the funny part of it is they go, uh, well, he's only gonna get three fourths of a page, and she goes, "That's what he deserves." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she, like he doesn't even. Know. Yeah. She's just like, I want this over with. We've spent so much money on it's this fine. damn encyclopedia book set. It is okay. He yeah. can, he's not going to know about this. And he was the creator. He was the inventor of the electric toaster, right? Yes. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, that it was, was like some rant. He was like, I should have got more. I should have got more. I think that's all the same scene, isn't it? Like all of that trivia, like the introduction of it's those kinda, characters. Yeah, yeah, she, and like Mrs. Leaves, Bragg's yeah. coming in or Miss Bragg's coming in. Like all of that is kind of the same scene. Yeah. I thought that was a really unique way to introduce all the characters and what's happening. Well, I certainly am obliged. I could use a bundle of scratch right now on account of I met me a mouse last week. Mouse? What a pair of games. A little in, a little out, and a little more out. I'm still completely mystified. Well, with this dish on me hands and them giving away 25 smackaroos on a quizola. Smackaroos? Smackaroos? What are smackaroos? A smackaroos? No such word exists. Oh, don't, huh? A smackaroo is a dollar, pal. Oh, the accepted vulgarism for a dollar is a buck. The accepted vulgarism for a smackaroo is a dollar. That goes for a banger, a fish, a buck, or a rug. What about the mouse? The mouse is the dish. That's what I need the moolah for. Moolah? Yeah, the dough. We'll be stepping me in the smooch. I mean the dish. I mean the mouse. You know, hit the jiggles for a little rum boogie. Please, please, not so fast. Brother, we're going to have some hoi toy toy. Hoi toy toy. Yeah. And if you want that one explained, you go ask your papa. Going off kind of the professor stuff, one of my favorite things I kind of mentioned earlier was when... Uh, Catherine and the regular regular kind of common people, the garbage man and like the, the newspaper boy are all describing to Potts what corny is. I loved that too. Yeah, I yeah. liked that. It was cute. 
And it was, and it was, it felt relevant and it, 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 it was a way to move the story along in a way that was like, he's getting what he needs and he's got this like think tank. And it was kind of funny because it was slang. And so you never expect these people to be in such a, like uh, that kind of space, that academic setting, they seemed so out of place. And I liked the comedy that that brought to the film. Like I thought that was a really fun moment. There's another word I'd like to take up now. It's recurred several times in our discussions and its meaning still eludes me. I think it was Miss O'Shea who used it yesterday in reference to the cuffs that I wear. The word is corny. Yeah, wouldn't you say they were corny? Because of the cornstarch in them? Because it's 1941. Then corny means old-fashioned. Mm, kind of hick, loose tooth. Mortimer snored. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, jeez. There's other kinds of corn, too. When you give your girl your fraternity pin, well, if she says, I'll keep it forever, that's corny, too. Mm. Yeah, I'll take a joke. Uh, that's no lady, that's my wife. Making your baby shoes under ashtrays. That's corn. Right off the cob. Well, let's stick to corn. Uh, is it synonymous with baloney? No, it's it's anything that gets him in the sticks. Long time no see. That's Indian corn. Yeah, when a guy comes to see a girl and says, let's turn off the lights, it hurts my eyes. Brother, that's corn. The implication is he's trying to pull some hoi-toi-toi. You're catching on, Professor. Countryfied, old-fashioned, sentimental. And I guess we can talk about this here, because I love Barbara Stanwyck in this movie. Yeah. I love Barbara Stanwyck pretty much in anything. And... I do think this character could be a could could be very different and not in a good way if it's someone else and with someone else in that role. She was really hard to cast in my recast. Oh, was she really? Okay. She was my hardest one. Yeah, this okay. go around. So and I think that you might be right about that. I don't know a lot about the other actresses from this time period. I do know a little bit about Katherine Hepburn just because she fascinates me like as a person and as a woman. But um but yeah, so I don't really know who else would have played her from that time. But yeah, I think she gives a lot to that role. It was like it was this um the way that I would describe it is she was able to kind of poke fun at him and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, tease, but it never yeah. felt mean. Like it was just kind of like now you're getting it like and she like when he would say something she had like a snappy kind of like no that's not right like you know like that's not what it means but this is you know and it was it was kind of this weird like it it was soft like there was a softness kind of there that i think she pulled off really well yeah and and, and the thing is too this is this is a this is a weird uh not weird but the the way there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie uh of like the whole mafia the whole mob gangster plot line on the side what a theme in all of like <laughs> every movie of this time period there had to be a mob or a yeah, mafia there's some, there's there's some, some sort of gangster there's some gangster yeah and so she the thing is she's kind of playing and and maybe we can talk about um i know one thing she want to talk about is that it, in this period there were kind of three type of female roles in movies yes and it was the uh, some people would say it's the good girl image, right? Um, the good girl wife image, and then there's the film noir kind of femme fatale, like sex, violence, bad kind of person, essentially. Right. Like uh, Doris and, Day, femme fatale. And yeah, then, it's almost like yeah, yeah. Well, Doris Doris Day is probably the good girl. Good girl, type right? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the femme fatale is. I mean, we talked about this with last month with Neo Noir, but it's like we talked about uh, Kathleen Turner and kind of Body Heat. It's Lana Turner and Postman Always Brings Trice. But so that was kind of the two characters. And the Hoxian woman is, some would say, is a hybrid of those two. 
I would agree with that. Where it's like, because you could see uh, O'Shea, uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character being a femme fatale in a, another movie. and cause, Possibly. Cause that's usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sure. usually, usually in other movies of that era, it's like the nightclub female singer is this femme fatale or who has a dark past or whatever. And <laughs> this one does, she doesn't really have that, but she still has the attributes of that type character, but she's not going down this dark, violent path or something, or trying to... She does try to control early on uh, pots just the way she can use uh, the hideout, their place as a hideout for her. That's kind of her main thing that she's trying to use them for. But there's no, like, I'm trying to gain something from them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that... Are you thinking more like... Because I, I t- we talked a little bit about Sunset Boulevard before... But, like, Norma Desmond is that kind of, like, she uses him in Sunset Boulevard to, like, per, you know, kind of, like. Yeah. Yeah. No, Norma Desmond's definitely a take. That, that's, a take that's a on the com- femme fatale. Uh, yeah, fem fem but, but that's a good comparison because also with film noir, as we talked about pre- these past few months, uh, with noir stuff, is that Sunset Boulevard is a movie that has the femme fatale black widow, as some would say, yeah, with Norma okay. Desmond. Uh, but then it has like Betty, who's, who's the good the, girl image, right? George yeah. Day type good girl yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I hear a dog in the background. Great. It's, it's... Should we pause for my <laughs> no, dog? It's, it's totally fine. It's totally okay. fine. Yeah, he just ran through the living room for no people find reason. people find it funny. But yeah, so you have those two images, and the Hoxian woman is trying to be. Well, I don't know if it's trying to be, um, but comes up being a hybrid of the two characters so i guess i wanted to get your thoughts kind of in this section kind of what we talked about before the show yeah sure even though this is not really favorite scenes we'll get back to favorite scenes in a moment so uh, what what is your take on kind of the the hoxian woman and everything so i we kind of talked about this before the show it's a male perspective on a female character and it's still being written for the male eye it's still being written through that lens through that you know kind of um from that perspective um, and for the sake of men, I think, you know what I mean? I don't think this character was necessarily written. You can disagree, but I think that ultimately, I think this, this character was written uh, still for men. And so I think it's an objectification of, of a woman, regardless of, you know, the fact that she is a spunky, you know, witty person uh, that doesn't change the fact that she was still written kind of by a man for a man that is my my perspective what i've always found interesting with this because the hoxian woman is usually portrayed a little bit or or is talked about a little bit differently of being a positive representation and what i always found funny was that the manic pixie dream girl archetype Mm. is a very similar description as the hoxian woman yeah uh because they're usually both there I think Man Picks a Dream Girl a little bit more, but in these kind of instances that we've talked about with this movie specifically, it's the female character is there to serve the male story. Correct. It's, yeah. It's to yeah. give is to give him some sort of new outlook so he can accomplish his goals. Uh and she's a plot move device. On with his life. Yeah. Yeah. Um She's a cute plot device. She's pretty. She sometimes says things that are awesome, but yeah. ultimately she's not really serving her own story or, or have her own like complexity, not necessarily in all portrayals 
of the hawk scene woman though because yeah. i personally think that in his girl friday that's a better character and my yeah. i think hildy is no, just is. a better character like i think she's more round well rounded more more whole um i don't particularly think that o'Shea is that i don't think she is a fully i personally i don't think she's a fully well-rounded character i think well the thing with her is that it's both of her plots deal with the guy yeah um she's either trying to she's she's hiding out to protect her boyfriend and then she gets tied back up with her boyfriend and and wants to leave him for this other guy right so we don't really like we're not seeing the 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 trials and tribulations of barbara stamick being a nightclub singer right that, like, well, and that's not the movie that we're watching no it's not it's not no yeah. no it's it's a screwball comedy it's about it's a it's making or it's it's a satirical version of love and romance in some way right um but it, it is just i wanted to bring that up because and i've said before with the mad pixie dream girl thing because i've always found interesting that katherine hepburn will fit under the same description for both of those and a lot of list, but one's being talked about in a positive light and one's being talked about in a negative light, but it's the same exact description they're kind of yeah. using. Well, and I think that there's, I mean, I think that new portrayals of women, especially for this time period are always a good thing. Like just showing yeah. more diverse types of women and women in general. I think that's, you know, um, looking at it context, like from a contextual kind of standpoint, that's a mm -hmm. good thing. Like you want to see, you know, different voices, different people. But I think the problem is, is I think it, it was really when women started telling those stories of women. I think that for me is when it switches to being a more positive uh, portrayal, because I think that it's really important to look at who's behind the camera and who wrote the story. Um so I think that's what makes it, I don't think necessarily that the character is problem. like, I do think this character is problematic and I do think characters like this can be problematic, but mm -hmm. it's, I think the problem is more about who's writing them and who's behind the camera than the character themselves, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Cause I just don't think it's always an authentic, fully rounded perspective. I wonder, because we, Thomas and I have talked about, uh, this person I'm about to say uh, last month, but um, Hawks, I think one reason why some of Hawks's female characters were so um, different from other, uh, or other films at the time is because some of those movies, he did have female screenwriters, mm, uh, right. specifically Lee Brackett, who would later go on and be a co-writer on empire strikes back. She wrote for the big sleep with Lauren Bacall, which many believe is the best version. Well, no, I was just going to say, I literally wrote down like Princess Leia is like yeah, yeah. a very much a Hoxian woman in my mind. Yeah. So that makes sense. That, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I love that connection. There's always weird connections. So that's, but that's kind of what we're talking about here is kind of trying to find the DNA of it all. Yeah. Of, of how it all correlates or relates to each other. Do you mind if I add one more point really quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that I think is really important to like mention here is there's also this kind of, I don't know. If, did you ever see Dollface with Kat Dennings, this new TV show? I don't know if I you watched not. it. Okay. I did not. So um, in the very first pilot episode of Dollface, the, I believe that pilot episode is actually called Guys Girl. And it's all about like 
the, the, there are some jokes and there's some commentary on like this girl that is basically like a guy's girl. And I yeah. have never met a girl who does not know, like, I'm pretty sure that a lot of female listeners are probably like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly who this woman is. It's like this person who is super into sports and like, mm -hmm. yeah, I love the, you know, just being around the guys and being friends with all the guys. Yeah. And I think that as women, like there's such a, um, <laughs> like, it's a weirdly competitive kind of thing where mm -hmm. the guys girl is always like this kind of like coveted role in any yeah. sort of like social group in a weird way um not in a healthy way that is i'm not yeah. saying that's good i'm saying that's bad but you know what i mean like so i think that to me the hoxine woman like for me the modern day kind of where i see the problem it like you're talking about the manic pixie dream girl which i think you're right about but i also think this other kind of stereotype this other trope of the guy's girl is also kind Kind of what I would identify as the problematic, like the problem of the Hoxine woman and what that reinforces. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the attribute, the kind of the characteristics of a Hoxine woman is the she can hang with one of the guys. Right. And we see that, that simply. in Ball yeah. of Fire, like when she's yeah, hanging out do. with all those professors and she's teaching them the conga and you know what I mean? Like all of these different moments where she's even with the gangsters, like she's yeah, yeah. a guy's girl. She's. Yeah, so I think that's I think that's part of the problem is with the character that I have. Well, how do we start, Professor? You see, this is the first time anybody moved in on my brain. Have you got some kind of a machine, an X-ray, or a vacuum cleaner, maybe that sorts out the words you want? What's your method, Professor? Well, it's quite simple. If you'll be here tomorrow morning, not later than nine thirty. Tomorrow morning. Well, yes, I, I've arranged a roundtable discussion with a few people of uh, various backgrounds. Uh huh. You. Uh... You don't think we could sort of begin the begin right now? Well, it's uh, nearly one o'clock, Mr. Oh, Shea. fool, Professor. Let's get ourselves a couple of drinks, light the fire, maybe, and you can start working on me right away. Well, I wouldn't think of imposing upon you at this hour. Listen, I figured I'm working all night. Well, any hasty random discussion would be of no scientific value. You see, I have to have my notes thoroughly prepared for the uh, seminar tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, where do I sleep? Well, I don't know. Where do you live? Up on Riverside, but I'm going to sleep here. Here? Oh, you don't understand, Miss O'Shea. We're all bachelors, with the exception of Professor Audley, who is a widower. Why, no woman ever. Even Miss Bragg, who takes care of our needs, goes home every night at 7.30. I do like her nightclub um, performance <laughs> Okay. for me. I know it's okay. Well, it's be well. here's the thing, and, I, and it'll come out later, but like the drummer is great. Yes. Uh, it's it's Gene Krupa who was one of the most famous drummers of that era at that point. If you if you know anything about swing music, you'll know him. But anyone who does know anything about swing music, if you can think of one song when you think of swing music, he was the drummer on that song. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's that guy, and he was kind. Of, and I'll talk maybe a little bit later, but he was kind of the dude who like uh, essentially made drummers not just a part of the band, but like a solo instrument type thing. Okay. Cool. Um, so he was he was um, Benny Goodman, who's the big called the King of Swing. Um, he was his drummer. So it's the, the big song is Sing Sing with a Swing. And that's used in any type of like, hey, we're showing the 1940s. That's the song everyone uses in movies nowadays. OK, he's the drummer on that. So like they do a lot of close ups of him in that sequence. And he does a whole big drum solo is what it is. And then they just do the whole like matches thing where he's drumming with matches 
Yeah. On the, on, I actually on thought that. that was pretty interesting and cool. Um, but it also took me out. It was not one of my favorite scenes, but that's fine. Yeah, it, it is very. It's it. very much of the era. Is the thing of just like, yo, we got to have some music in here. People are gonna get bored. <laughs> well, I did. I mean, there were other elements of music. Yeah, that I really liked. And in fact, that was one of my my one of my favorite scenes is the Genevieve when all the professors yes, are singing Genevieve. That's also one of my yes. Yeah. So I think. You know, I I would say that maybe a favorite part of mine in general is the musical themes. Like, I actually really liked that part of this yeah. movie. Um, drum, bo- drum Boogie was not my absolute favorite part, but I respect it. I, I, I respect I just, it. I, I love Cooper being so offbeat when he's saying Boogie. Like... Oh, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> and and that he kind of gets into it before yeah. they, she brings in the crowd. Like, he kind of, and he's not really sure what to do with himself. I did really like that. Yeah. One, two. No, but I, but I want to go off what you said earlier uh, about the Genevieve scene because uh, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. also one of mine. Because I really love it's Professor Oddly is the is the uh, character, yeah. and he talks about his wife. Yeah, um, it was an endearing moment. It was, and he's kind of funny because he kind of ramps up a little bit in the latter part of the movie uh, as a character. Like he's the one who's who when they run into the 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 house at the end with the Tommy guns. He's the one like, <laughs> yeah. it's a standoff it's or whatever. A, it's he's just like yelling. It's, it's an up stick. <laughs> and they go, it's a stick up. It's a stick up. He's just so like, I think he's great, but yeah, yeah. it's a sweet moment of him talking about his wife. And then, and then talks about the song she, she would used to sing is what it was. And they yeah. would sing it. And every time they'd finish it, he'd go sing it again. And they would just keep singing it over and over again. But it was a very sweet moment. And there was a song at that time everyone sang. Unfortunately, I can never carry a tune. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, please sing it all. Genevieve. Uh, does anyone else know it? The days may come, the days may go. But still the hand of memory beats the blissful dreams of long ago. Please sing it again. Oh, Genevieve, sweet Genevieve. Well, my favorite moments in the entire movie is Henry Travers, who plays one of the professors, uh, and he walks and he starts firing off the Tommy gun in the middle of the house at the end when um <laughs> when they all yeah. like run in he's just like when they, when they, uh, it's the stick up moment but also he just starts firing yeah and if you if you ever wanted to see Clarence the angel from it's a wonderful life firing off a Tommy gun That's... dressed in the tux <laughs> this is the movie for you this is that moment this is you that didn't moment think you've it been existed, waiting for but it does and he and it's, it's in like a fire. He, 
It's not like he accidentally shoots off the Tommy no. gun. He goes. It's a deliberate choice. Yeah, it's a deliberate <laughs> choice that he's making yeah. to shoot up this house. I mean, just like, believe for him, happening? that was great. I loved it. On set life. So as I said earlier, Billy Wilder was hoping to direct Ball of Fire. Um, Hawks found out about this and he allowed Wilder to shadow him on set for the duration of the film. Um, Wilder would spend, would spend two months on set and it would be the final film that Wilder did not serve as the director for one of his scripts. Okay, here's the thing I was waiting for Amy to catch, but she has not said it yet. One big change that Hawks made in the making of the film was to make it more like Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh my gosh, I Which... thought this the whole time and then he even said it. I literally wrote down, yeah. it's basically yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, except for I really don't feel like O'Shea is Snow White. I kind of feel like Bertram is Snow White. But I mean, Take what you will. I mean, well, I think it is. Yeah, it's the- yeah, it's she's her on the teaching run. Them. She's yeah. on the run. She teaches them how to dance. Yes, I do like, but I also kind of feel uh, they actually made a lot. They said a lie. They do. Yeah, there's two references. Jo- there's two Lilac, references to it. Lilac, Lilac. Why does that sound weird yeah. to say it? Lilac, the gangster. The yeah, gangster yeah, yeah, yeah. Lilac. Yeah. He says. Are you having fun hanging out with the seven dwarves? And I was like, I've been yeah. thinking that the whole time. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah. So basically, Hawks made that change because uh, okay. it had been released, I think, four years before. Wilder says this was Hawks's way of trying to earn a screenwriting credit for the film. Interesting. And each of the professors outside Cooper modeled their characters off each of the dwarves. Huh. Now I'm going back and I'm like, sneezy? I didn't really pick up on a sneezy vibe, but okay. Yeah, I yeah, I, th- I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's fully there, but that's what they said. Okay. Um, yeah, you, there was one reference where Dana Andrews, who plays the gangster, says it directly. Also, uh, in the scene when Gary Cooper, uh, as as Professor Potts, is talking with the newspaper boy at the newsstand, kind of the first scene when he comes out mm-hmm. in New York. There's a marquee behind them in the background. It says Walt Disney, Snow White, and the Seven Aww, Dwarfs. okay. And like Donald Duck cartoon, all these different things of it showing um, nearby. So that was a very like on purpose. And people would later describe this as a live action version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I do think that she is definitely Snow I see this, that she is Snow yeah, White. Yeah, because she's like teaching them how yeah, to dance. Definitely. And she's, yeah, she's yeah. doing all these different things. She's teaching them slang. So, yeah, uh, Kathleen Howard, the actress who plays, who portrays Miss Bragg, the professor's housekeeper, actually got injured during the shooting of the film. <laughs> during the scene when Barbara Stanwyck punches her, Stanwyck actually makes contact with her punch, fracturing Howard's jaw. <gasps> Stanwyck was apparently mortified by what she did after it happened. I'm sure she was. Yeah. Oh, my God. Poor Mrs. Braggs. Yeah. That's so, so sad. Uh, and the film was shot at Samuel Goldwyn Studios in West Hollywood, and it was shot from August 1941 to October 1941. That's pretty short. It's pretty short, especially when, as we get into the aftermath of the film, uh, in there are conflicting reports of the film's release. Some people actually said the film was released January of 1949, while some put it December 31st, 1941. Many sources claim it was released on December 2nd, 1941. So like two months of post-production is basically what it is. Wow. But you know what's funny is the cuts aren't great. No, they're not. Uh, and so that they, actually they, is they interesting. Also, they also play a lot in wide shots. 
They do. Amy Sherman Palladino was talking about wide shots and how they play into the Hoxie and women. Like, that that's part of... Anyways, go ahead. No, no, you know, you're right. I mean, that that's... We'll say it here. It's like, that's that's why I said, bring up the director of photography, Greg Tolan, right. who shot Citizen Kane. He does a lot of wide shots in a lot of his films. Uh, and he also worked, I think, a little bit... I think he did something with John Ford. Maybe I'm wrong. But he plays a lot of stuff in wide, so it really works... Like they're seen specifically yeah. in in uh in the finale scene, in the library when they're when I think uh Gary Cooper is uh on the phone uh talking to Barbara Stamp when she's like supposed to go marry mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the gangster, you see him in the foreground, you see the one of the gangsters, the as asthma Anderson, like in the midground and these the background of the library books, everything's in focus. Right. And that's 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 essentially the same technique that Tolan would use on Citizen Kane the the few months before. No, I was just going to say, because that's what Amy Sherman Palladino is known for. And I would say that she's probably the best example of like really owning screwball comedy from a female perspective. And I think she nails it in both Gilmore Girls and in a lot of like in a lot of her work. Um, And but I think they talked about that as like her and Daniel her uh, Palladino talked about how like the wide shots and allowing characters to stay in that moment and to really, you know, help. And they were talking about the comedy and how sometimes cutting in like it can help the comedy, but sometimes allowing a scene to play out and allowing the delivery and the actors in that space to really bring that to life. And I think, um, I think that's a really interesting, I'm a big fan of that as someone who used to be an actor, like that's, you know what I mean? That's what you want. As I was watching the pilot episode of Gilmore Girls today, um, I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> what a great there, life decision! There you are made. Scene, like, like there was one that 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 caught me as this of when Melissa McCarthy, who plays the 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 chef of the, the inn, mm-hmm. so yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a there's a big there's a long kind of one shot. It's a pretty wide one shot of kind of circling her around as she's in the kitchen yeah. cooking. You're seeing kind of beamless mccarthy who is a great comedian uh playing everything like through like she's like putting stuff on the counter and it's falling off right. and she's get, yeah. people are getting in the way it's very you're very much in this scene of um of the madness of the of the of the kitchen of the moment in the kitchen yeah of the moment in the kitchen yeah and i think did you watch marvelous miss mazel yes. season two did you watch yes. the season t- you watch that scene yeah so the opening scene it's insane it's insane it's absolutely mind-blowing it's a switch it's the switchboard scene and you go all the way in you know through the store and then it's the switchboard and then there's like a two-minute sequence in the switchboard room that is literally there are no cuts and i watched the behind the scenes yeah. yeah of how they did that and how they like you know what i mean and i would say um you know i don't want to deep dive into amy sharon paladino I could do that. And if you want to, I'd love to. But um, <laughs> she talks about how she was a she was a dancer. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that when she was a ch- like a kid and like, I think even possibly into her teens, maybe. Sorry if I'm saying that yeah, wrong, yeah. Amy Sherman Palladino. Um, but she, her, you know, she was talking about how choreography and dance is very important to her in all of her shows, like you'll see these elements of dance because she does and she that. Did, and she did a dance. And she had a dance show, Bunheads. She did do it. Right? Yeah. Bunhead, Bunheads. Yes. And I think that in a lot of ways, like, f- like filmmaking um, is somewhat of a sequence. It's a dance. It's a dance sequence. These, um, and that's kind of, I really, I did like that in ball of fire 
You know what I mean? That I did feel like there were some moments that we got that element of the space and of, you know, this is the world that we live in. We had, we were grounded in that because of the way that they allowed it to play in a wide shot. Yeah, very much so. And, and it's the, the framing as well, because like they'll frame people to where yeah. they're in different kind of uh, sections of the, of, of the shot. Um, but sorry, back to Aftermath real quick. Yep. Um, as I said, main sources claim the film was released on December 2nd, 1941, meaning it was one of the final films, specifically comedies, that was released before the attack on Pearl Harbor, which resulted in America becoming involved in World War II. Interesting. Um, even with the country in turmoil, the film apparently was a box office hit, becoming the fifth highest grossing film of 1941, with $2.2 million at the box office, which seems like nothing nowadays. I know. <laughs> um, however, because of Samuel Goldwyn's deal with RKO Pictures, the film reported a loss of $147,000. Don't know how. Hollywood accounting. Uh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, the film would go on to receive four Academy Award nominations, one for Best Score, uh, one for Best Sound Recording, one for Best Story for Wilder and Thomas Monroe. Not Best Screenplay, by the way. There was a weird Academy Award at one point. There was, at this point, there was a Best Original Screenplay, a Best Screenplay, and a Best Original Story. Mm-hmm. Don't know Interesting. why that was there. Uh, and then a Best Leading Actress nomination for Barbara Stanwyck, which would be the second of her career. They, would, they wouldn't they would win any of these. Sad. However, many of the people involved in the movie received Oscar nominations for other films that year. Uh, as I said, the earlier collaboration of Cooper and Hawke's Sergeant York received 11 Oscar nominations that year, the most of the year. Uh, Hawks would be nominated for Best Director the only time he received a nomination in his career. Wow. Cooper would win the Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Sergeant York, which would be the first of his two Oscar wins. Um, and also, as I said, the Director of Photography, uh, Greg Tolan, received an Oscar nomination for Sis and Kane. And then producer Samuel Goldwyn received an, an Oscar nomination for Best Picture for his producer role on the Bay Davis film, The Little Foxes. So a busy year. For everyone involved. Yeah. Super crazy busy year. But good for them. Good for them. <laughs> good yeah. for you. They all, they all did well. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, after a uh, year after the film's release, they would adapt Ball of Fire for a radio version, also starring Barbara Stanwyck in the role of O'Shea. But instead of Gary Cooper, she was joined by her frequent co-star, Fred McMurray, who starred with her in four films, one of which is the 1944 film Double Indemnity, directed by Billy Wilder. The film would later be remade in 1948, only seven years after the film's release. This time, however, it was a musical starring famed com musical comedy actor Danny Kaye. Uh, the film was called A Song is Born. Interesting. <laughs> I've heard weirdly, of like three other movies with a similar title. <laughs> weirdly, this is before Judy Garland. Like, yeah, it's, this is before it's, A Star it's, is Born. I, I don't, well, no, it's before Garland's A Star is Born, but there was A Star is Born in the before 1930s. That, yeah. So they definitely were because ripping Bradley off that Cooper name. Because Bradley Cooper was like, why didn't I get a Best Director nomination? No offense to Bradley Cooper, but there were like other, there were like three other people who did it before you. <laughs> like, right? Okay. Well, I, I won't accept slander of Bradley Cooper <laughs> on A Star is Born on this show. <laughs> oh my God. I had no idea you were such a fan. Oh. Lady Gaga. God. Should have won that Oscar too. Should have won too. She is and amazing, and she carried that movie. Thomas and I have very much love for *A Star Is Born*. Uh, so Hawks, Howard Hawks, would return to direct the film *A Song Is Born*, even though he refused numerous times. Uh, once they offered him two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to direct the film, he decided he could not refuse. 
Director of photography Greg Tolan would also serve as the film's director of photography, and it would be released a little over a month after Tolan died of coronary thrombosis wow. at the age of 44. Oh, man. Yeah. But after all this, it seems the film has become a, become a little bit of a footnote in the careers of the main talented people involved. Uh, however, it would begin, begin to gain more claim as we entered into the new millennium. In 2000, the film was named the 92nd greatest American comedy by the American Film Institute. And in 2016... My, <laughs> my faith in the American <laughs> Film Institute is slowly yeah. but surely taking a nosedive. Okay, go uh, ahead. And in, to that, and, and in 2016, the film was deemed culturally, historically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in its National Film Registry. Today, it is considered by many as the last, last golden age screwball comedy as the genre began to dwindle once World War II began for America. So that's its aftermath. Interesting. Uh, so Amy, what worked about this film? Well, I've kind of told you some of that in what I love. Um, yeah, yeah. And but I was being really harsh on Ball of Fire. <laughs> but I, but I, do, I do think there are things to love about the movie. I think like it's kind of one of those like, uh, you know my opinion of Star Wars movies. And I, I know this is going to sound like, where is this going? But you just have to be along for the ride. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how I feel about some movies. Yes. Like, you, like you just like, you get excited about what it is. And I think for Ball of Fire, for me, that's kind of what worked is like, I was just along for the ride. Like it was a fun, easy movie to watch. It was, I didn't, um, I didn't have to think too deeply to understand it. It was cute. You know what I mean? I do think, I mean, obviously we're going to pull it apart um, in a minute, and I do think that was complex and did make me think some, but overall, yeah. I think what worked about it was that, um, I think that the portrayals of the professors for the most part, I know you said that you felt like that some of them were problematic and I'd love to talk they, about that, but they, well, like that, some of the lines early on when she first arrives just feels creepy. Yeah, like, I do think so. And, and yeah. I mean, and maybe <laughs> this is going to sound terrible and maybe I need to talk to a therapist about this, but maybe I'm just used to it. That it seemed so, maybe it seemed so but, like light by comparison to what yeah. you know I'm used to. I don't know, but and, I didn't and think also it was some super sometimes I view this too. Like, say if I have someone on here, I try to think like, how are they going to react to this as right, I'm watching right. it? So I'm like, oh, Amy might clock that as creepy because that's creepy yeah. to me. <laughs> Um, and I usually do, so that's probably yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah. Well, it's like like when like when they're like about to get married at the end or whatever. Uh, it's like oh, we have to kiss the bride, or when they get engaged. Yeah. To, and like and so like all, not all of them. Yeah, that was. But, I actually wrote that down as um, and also like it was weird when he said like it's good luck to touch the bride, like the yeah, police yeah, yeah. officer that pulled her. Yeah. So there were yeah, some yeah. moments, and the kissing scene was um. That's in we you didn't ask what didn't me. work right I Sorry. have that written down for what didn't work but I mean yeah I think for what worked I do mm -hmm. think that for me I think their relationships for the most part like seemed yeah. you know kind of authentic which I liked no yeah I I said I we've talked about the staging of it I think the way it's staged is fairly it's fairly well done yeah I agree with with this movie it's not a I want to talk about because I want to talk about Barbara Stanwyck because I think she is a integral part of the genre to some extent. And I think that's an actress. I don't think it's enough love uh, nowadays uh, for the many com like uh, various roles she played over, over the years. Um, but I think she's great in it. I think, I think the dialogue is good. It, it can be slow, but I think it's very witty. I do too. A lot of the time. 
I think that a lot of the side characters are really great in this as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that Miss Totten, Miss Bragg, the garbage man, the newspaper kid, even the dude who's in there for like two seconds in the slang, like little meetup. I think the I think the character actors and the side performances were just so fantastic. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I thought they added a lot to the story. I agree. Which we've weirdly found, and I don't know, I'm just kind of discovering this now when we're talking about it this way, because these past two episodes, I know Thomas and I have talked about how like how great the supporting cast is, but and I wonder if that's maybe a genre thing of just how kind of yeah. memorable these small parts are in this kind of screwball comedy world. Right. That's um, interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but I think I agree because I also think that in His, his, uh, his Girl Friday, there were a lot mm-hmm. of like standout kind of like, you know, characters that were only really on screen for maybe five minutes you know what i mean but yeah. they were great what did not work for me there was a lot that didn't work um i i do think that if i personally i like and it's almost painful to say this and it maybe it makes for a completely uninteresting podcast so i apologize for this <laughs> but part of what i didn't like about this movie is that it was just like to me it was like just okay like it there wasn't anything that that made it feel like a knockout for me or a standout. Like I'm not going to probably watch this movie for a while. Like I just didn't. And I don't know if that's just, um, you know, so I think that that was part of my struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. There were a couple of moments that I didn't like. Um, I didn't like the, it's good luck to touch the bride moment. That was really weird. And I, I just like body autonomy, like, she didn't want to be touched. Like, don't touch her. Like, literally, she's wearing a veil and she's giving you every sign that she does not want to interact with you. Stop engaging. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Brandon. Sorry. We have to talk about one thing I loved. <laughs> okay. I totally forgot. What's um, the one thing you loved? Okay. So one thing I did love was in the scene where she's marrying uh, Lilac. Yeah. Lilac? I, why can't I say his last name? Why can't I, I, I say? Is his first name Joey? Joe? Yes, his name's Joe. Okay, yeah. when Joe, Joe, Joe. Joe Lilac. Joe yeah, yeah. Lilac. It sounds so weird to me. Okay, Joe. Basically, sh- she says to him, she's like, you know, I don't like you and you make me sick. Like every time oh, he's yeah. doing his vows, right. like that, she's oh, yeah, she's that's... coming back with like a line. And I loved yeah. that. that. I thought was, that was that hilarious. Was yeah, that yeah. was the thing I forgot to say. Because yeah. that was one of my that was one of my favorite scenes where it's like, yeah, every time it's well, it's like the preach the the preach like, oh, uh, for better or for worse or worse. Like she's like, yeah, keeps or saying, worse. Like literally yeah. everything, like in sickness it's, and in health. I'm sick right now. Like, you know, yeah, like Yeah. She's yeah, she's very much just like, oh God, this guy. He's terrible. Like, li- yeah, literally was like went from like loving him and, and cool with being like the gangster mall basically. Yes. Uh, at the beginning to like I hate this despicable human being. He probably murdered someone. Yes. And the only reason I'm marrying him is so that I can't say that he murdered someone. Right. Exactly. Like it wasn't it. It was just it was a good moment where we saw some like character growth from her like where she's kind mm-hmm. of like able to stand up for herself. Like yeah. and I thought that was a really kind of that was just a good moment i really enjoyed yeah. that okay back to what i didn't like what didn't work yeah, yeah. what didn't work um she doesn't show up until 16 minutes into the movie yeah. that really late. bothers me that um o'shea does not show up until 16 minutes into the movie i really hated that she shows up late and i thought that too this time uh i also thought she could have 
gotten a little bit better entrance than what she got. She got a full dance number, Brandon. I'm just no, kidding. No, I, I don't I, disagree, I, actually. <laughs> I, I, I don't like, but like, what I mean is like, you. so you have like a one, like there's one scene, or there's one shot of her like peering through the curtain. You kind of see a little bit of her eye looking out and then it cuts to a wide and it just walks out and you're just like, okay, this just feels like another character. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like, okay, this is who we're going to be following right. for this a is, lot of this movie. It was almost like, I don't know if this is someone I'm supposed to remember or if there's someone that's going to yeah. come in in a moment. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. And now granted, that might just be the time of the, like the filmmaking, but I think if you did that scene nowadays, it'd be, it'd be a much grander entrance of introducing that, that character. I agree. Also, um, I, and this also was one thing that I liked, but I'm going to talk about what I didn't like. Uh, Miss Totten, I really liked when she was on the back of the car and she was like, this is the most fun I've had in a while. Yeah. I loved that. That was really cute. Um, but speaking of Miss Totten, one thing I did not like is the other female characters in this movie were not portrayed super well. And the relationships between the women were not portrayed well either. Like I did not like the relationship between Miss Bragg and uh, I mean, I guess by the end they had kind of worked out their differences, but there was kind of this like stereotype, this like mothering kind of controlling and nagging. And it was just such a trope. I hated that. And she's very stand, she's very standoffish to, to O'Shea. Right. Like to these other women. And it doesn't feel like, yeah, I don't know if, she, I don't, yeah, she's even kind of, I don't know if she does the Miss Totten. I don't know if they really have any scenes together. Not really, yeah. But I think she warns them, like, oh, they're coming or whatever. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that the, the, the relationship between O'Shea and Totten, or now O'Shea and Miss Bragg, it could have been worked on a lot better. Cause even like, cause she comes up, she's like, oh, she punched me and put me in the closet. Like when, when she's like bringing the cops to the yeah. inn or whatever. Yeah, she's she's very much like there's not a great relationship there no. between like the female. And I was disappointed characters. because in His Girl Friday, there was a relationship between the female characters. It was literally mm-hmm. a plot point, you know? I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed uh-huh. that. Um, but I felt like in Ball of Fire, I just didn't get the sense that and I think that's what made uh, earlier I was talking about how I felt that O'Shea's character was a little two dimensional and wasn't as well rounded and complex. And that's part of yeah. why I think that is because I think a lot of times, especially no offense, genuinely, I just, you know, or maybe full offense. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I think when dudes write female characters, they oftentimes forget that women have relationships with each other all the time and they don't quite understand the nuances of those relationships and so it's a little bit disappointing anytime you're watching a movie and again you know i am giving this movie a lot of grace uh for me i'll I'll be brief with this uh the length bothered me a little bit i wish it was a tad bit shorter it was Uh, a little long again because i love how chaotic the like the final the third act of the movie feels i wish there's a little bit more fast, like more fast paced nature to the film. Agreed. Before. I'm not saying this needs to be like a 90, 80 minute movie. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's like an hour and 50 minutes. I think it is. And you could find, I like find 10 minutes. Give me five or 10 minutes out of this movie. And we'll see what happens. And I think part of the problem I struggle with is I'm not sure where that 10 minutes would come from because I think they would probably like the scenes that are unnecessary, I think are some of my favorite scenes, like the Genevieve scene and the scene where they're all talking about marriage, like really and truthfully, 
that probably would be the scene maybe to I cut, mean, I'd, but I don't... I'd pro- maybe, maybe cut the second part of the of the drum boogie. Like, I yeah, don't, like, even like though I, I like it. Yeah, I like see, it. Agreed, yeah, agreed. I, don't, I don't know if you need it. Uh, I, I, and so here's the thing. I don't know how I feel about Gary Cooper in this movie. This is something I've been kind of holding back a little bit. Oh, um, do tell. I mean, I, Gary, I like Gary Cooper, but I do. I, I, I kept wondering what is like Jimmy Stewart going to be like in this role? Because I think Cooper, for one, is a tad bit older than being the young professor. Yeah. He's 40 years old in this movie. Um, when she's playing like 31, 32, I think is how Barbara Stanwyck is. He was older. I actually, that was part of my struggle in cast, in the casting later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I just kept wondering, like, I was like, I really would love to see like Jimmy Stewart in this role for some reason, because Jimmy Stewart, I think could play the professor like, but also could play kind of the out of his elements when he's in like uh, did you see him in harvey have you seen harvey yeah Yeah, i love harvey and i feel like that's a great like that out of that's what made me think of like when you're like out of his element like i definitely see that i think he would have been a good one because both him and cooper have a ah shucks type mentality they're just adorable but yeah cooper and cooper can be i've seen cooper play some really great roles but i just i wonder I don't know if his sensibility matches with the comedy of, of Billy Wilder as much, or even like with Barbara Stanwyck. I just feel like uh, they're like, they're very Richie Cunningham, like that kind of clean cut, you know, yeah. like it's the good old boy type of thing. Yeah. And I think they both, I, I, I honestly, now that you've said this, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't thinking about Jimmy Stewart, but I do think that would yeah. be, Yeah. Yeah, I just think I think he can land the comedy of of the of it a lot better than Gary Cooper. So you didn't like Gary Cooper? That's what didn't work for I, you. I wow. like Gary. I, I think Gary Cooper could be better in this. Okay. I just I, I, every time I think of Gary Cooper, I think of this. He very much played this American hero type role. I'm just wondering if maybe that's why I kind of felt like the movie was just okay, but I wasn't able to articulate that. Because I think he really, he has the most screen time. Like he He should really carry the movie. And I think that's part of it is he doesn't deliver just a knockout performance that took this from, this is a, this is an okay movie to like, I will watch this again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's played a lot of, I don't say one note characters, but I think he's played a lot. Like he's a very quiet, he can play a very quiet character. Yes. And so, and his character for them, he's he's a kind of quiet character in this movie, but he never you never see the variations as much. The only time you really kind of see it in terms of energy, I feel, is when he finds out that uh, O'Shea hasn't married the gangster yet. Yeah, like when he gets yeah. on the phone, he kind of gets happy. He gets that little kinda, jolt. Of, yeah, yay! Do yeah. you know what this he, means? She's she's got to have two guys have guns yeah. to her head before she to marry this man. That, that yeah. must mean she actually loves me. That she's still trying to fight not to get married yes. to this guy. And that's the only time I really see it. And I was like, I wish we saw a little bit more of that throughout the movie. And I think Stewart would have done that in a better way. So alternate universe cast, here's who was up for it. Uh, Ginger Rogers was offered the role of Catherine O'Shea, uh, but she declined feeling the script was all fluff. She later regretted that decision. Carol Lombard also turned down the movie feeling uh, because she did not like the script uh, Gene Arthur, who had recently just made Only Angels Have Wings with Howard Hawks and was also in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart, was considered for the role, but because she was under contract with Columbia Pictures, they would not loan her out for the movie. Hmm. Uh, the big one, 
Lucille Ball wanted to play the role of O'Shea, believing it was the type of role that could win her the Oscar. She fought hard mm. for the role and was allegedly hired for the movie, but was let go when Samuel Goldwyn found out Barbara Stanwyck was available. Since she was the bigger film star, they went with Stanwyck. That's interesting. Is that because, had, I mean, that was obviously after Lucy, like the tel- like when she was on TV? No, this is before. This is before. Because I Love Lucy's not until the 50s. I know so nothing. Pe- <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Luke, everyone doesn't realize, like Lucille Ball had been working in, in Hollywood since the 30s. Right. Well, I just wondered if it was that old, like, uh, TV shows aren't as good as movies type of, like, mentality. But it, so it was not. It was just that she genuinely no. wasn't the bigger name at that time. No, she wasn't the bigger name. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, because uh, whole, I don't go into this much on I Have Lucy, but yeah, I Have Lucy basically started off as a radio show, I think, called My Favorite Husband or something. <laughs> And then it turned <laughs> into a TV show and TV became bigger because uh, she had basically had not really done a lot of big movies at that point. Uh, so that's how that came about. Because she'd been in a few movies. She was in a, a stage door also with Ginger Rogers and Catherine Hepburn, which came out in 39. I think we talked about uh, on the Philadelphia Story podcast. And then she did a movie called like Dark Corner, a couple of film noir movies she did. She was in a movie called Dance Girl Dance, which was directed by a female director, Dorothy Asner. Um, in like 39. Sorry, that was the brief history of Lucille Ball. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Fascinating stuff. <laughs> uh, but film facts. Um, in order to capture the realistic slang for the movie, writers Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett hung out at a drugstore pharmacy across from Hollywood High School. <laughs> Back then, drugstores, like the famous Schwab's Pharmacy, were local hangouts because they served ice cream, food, and you could buy more than just medicine. Uh, they also hung out at a burlesque hall in Los Angeles and the Hollywood racetrack. Wow. Uh, the film was also given the title, I don't know where, but was also known as The Professor and the Burlesque Queen. I really don't know how I feel about that title. Like, I had no idea where that statement was going. I don't know if I <laughs> love that or hate it. Profe- the Professor and the Burlesque Queen. Um, Dana Andrews, who plays uh, Joe Lilac, based his performance on the famous gangster Bugsy Siegel. Andrews would hang out at the Formosa Cafe, which is across from the street of the Goldwyn Studios, uh, where the film was shooting, and Siegel was actually an owner of the place. So he would watch Siegel and his other gangster friends that were there, <laughs> uh, and he was able to find the exact clothing to match Siegel and his what his men wore for the film. In the scene where Dan Duryea, who's uh, Pastrami, begins shooting off his gun in the library, he says, I saw a movie. I saw me a movie last week and then licks his thumb and rubs it against his gun. That is a direct reference to the other Hawks with 1941 Sergeant York, where Gary Cooper as a soldier does that same technique to improve his markmanship. Interesting. Barbara Stanwyck does not actually sing in the film. Her big number drum boogie was sung by a, a, a woman by the name of Martha Tilton. Uh, who was actually famous for singing in multiple movies in this I, era. Was I literally wrote down audio is off on drum boogie. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's why. Okay, Richard Hayden, who plays Professor Oddly, and Leonid Kinski, who plays Professor Quintana, were actually younger than Gary Cooper, but they were aged up dramatically with makeup because Cooper was playing the youngest of the professors. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, Oddly was hilarious. He was so good. Yeah. 
Well, that and that's uh, that's your quarter guy. Yeah, that is my quarter guy. Yes, I thought that was a fantastic scene. I thought it was hilarious, like just a bit. I guess it was so cute and funny. And he's like, maybe a fifty cent piece, (laughs) yeah, half dollar, whatever. Who who has changed from a dollar? No, he's great. Um, the comedic, like it was, a, it was a good blend of like it was physical comedy. It was great dialogue. It was a, it was a really good moment in the. So Rich, Richard Hayden, who plays that, that was his second movie. Wow. Yeah, that was what the second else, movie. Did he do anything after? Because he's got great comedic timing. Like he was really good at reading those moments and and capturing them. He did a lot. He was in a. He plays the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland Disney movie. Oh. You know that he's makes me so happy. He's the I voice for that. that. Uh, he's also in uh, The Sound of Music, Ma- Max Max Dittweiler. Oh, the one that comes in is like um, Mr. Von Trapp's. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, blah, 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 blah. I know exactly what scene it's in. It's on, like, when they're on the terrace and the lady, the lady is there as well with him. Baroness, whatever. Elsa von Schrader, yeah. Eleanor You're reading Parker's that, right? From IMDb. I am. Just pull I am. That. Yes. Okay, great. I, I don't I feel so bad that. anymore. I think he plays. Yeah, he plays his best friend that comes yeah, with play- her, and they're all out on the terrace, and like he's yes. there, and the Baroness, like, okay, see, I knew what and I was talking about. And he's also he's also the guy who introduces them at the uh, at this at the festival at the end, I believe, is who it is. Yes, and that's the same guy, right? Yes, as same the guy. one that was. In, yeah, okay, see. Uh, yeah, so he, yeah, so he worked a lot, and he played, it was in Young Frankenstein as well. Okay. Um. So yeah. Uh, wow. Last what, th- and he worked with so many amazing. Think about all the people that we yeah. like. That is incredible. The number of people that he has worked with. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Story questions. Uh. The one thing I had was, do they ever finish this encyclopedia? Yeah. Because great question. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent question. They've been working for years, and they said it's going to take us three more years. We're only on the S's or something like that. And yeah. I'm just like, it's going to take you three years to get to Z. It, it feels like a long time. Also, yeah. I want to know. Uh, sorry, I'm not. I don't know if you're Go done ahead. with your question. I was gonna no, say the other thing that no really answers. gets me about this one, about this movie, is where are these professors and their families? Where are their families? And why yeah. are they acting like they have literally never seen a woman before in their lives? And it's like they're like in their 60s and 70s. Like you have seen a woman. You used mm-hmm. to conceivably teach, probably. At yeah, a yeah. college, like you had a yeah. life before this. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It just felt like they were. <laughs> well, they, uh, the thing is, yeah, I think they they've been in they've apparently been in that home for like five to six years. Yeah, I guess so. And when you've been in that kind of like environment for so long, and that's all you think about, that's all you do. But yeah, you've I don't only know. seen just... old white dudes. That's all you've seen is old white dudes. <laughs> what a You're sad like... existence. Can you imagine? <laughs> It, it was. It, I did find it a little timely when they go. We're gonna tear this place down and build an apartment complex. And I go, wow. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I was like, we're gonna tell you this very beautiful building that houses thousands of books and knowledge and yes. build an apartment complex. I mean, the big the big question is, do do O'Shea and Potts actually make it as a couple? Are you asking me, or that's a question you have? Oh, I mean, okay, I'll, an- I'll answer it. I'll answer, you answer you might, it. I'll tell you my thoughts. Um. I think that a relationship whose foundation is built on a lie is <laughs> is probably not like, the healthiest uh, start. 
you know, I'm just not sure. But I think for the sake of uh, for the sake of optimism, I'll say yes. Okay. Ultimately, yes, <laughs> but probably with some bad, a few bad years, and also they're gonna like, have some fights. Yeah, and like she's gonna disappear at one point. Yeah, she's gonna disappear oh, at one 100%. point. He's gonna be off doing encyclopedia stuff for like a yeah. while, and she's like, "Why did I marry this guy?" And if these were really mobsters, are we genuinely going to assume yeah. that never comes back around? Like, yeah, exactly. I agree with you. On yeah, that. yeah, I'm just not there's sure. A, there's a sequ- there's a sequel here we could do. There's a whole other movie in a different just call, genre. In, instead, of, yeah, instead of ball of fire, it's just balls of fire. <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> I think so that be perfect. Might be a different movie, but yeah, it would be. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I. uh I don't know. I, I think they might. They could try. They could. De- we'll they, they could definitely try. All right. Let's move on to awards. Uh, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, limited scenes that kills it. Okay. I I because I actually liked all the side characters probably more than the two leads in this movie. Uh, well, I don't know. I, didn't, I yeah. Um, I didn't hate O'Shea, but uh, I feel like probably for me it was miss bragg maybe okay. um or the garbage man garbage man is my pick <laughs> I, okay my pick. i love the garbage man i love the garbage man yeah, i think yeah. he was super good yeah, alan his name jenkins is alan jenkins yes yes i liked him i think he's my he's my choice i liked miss bragg but my my truth my honest one would be alan jenkins the garbage man well, Alan, yeah, I think he's great. I said, I think the Cleopatra stuff's great. I think I love when he comes back and in the middle of the like kind of like gangster holdup, and he's like, "I'm gonna leave." Yeah, and they're just like, no, 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 no you're yeah. here. No, you're you here now. Stay. And they walk him to the back of the line. Yeah, and I thought just he he wasn't in very many scenes at all, but he just he always. Yeah, I think he's only in three scenes. He's in the corny scene, the asp on the bosom scene. Yeah, yeah, about Cleopatra. Yeah, the trivia scene. Uh, yeah, and then the and then I think and then he takes he takes Cooper into New York or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, Alan Jenkins, Beatrice Strait Award winner. I can't throw the kitchen. Who are you? I'm the garbage man. I want to find out something about Cleopatra. Cleopatra? Yeah, this is some kind of a library or school, isn't it? Neither. We are writing an encyclopedia. Encyclo what? An encyclopedia, a work which endeavors to compile and catalog all human knowledge. Say, that's just what I need. Young man, did you come through my kitchen? That's right, sister. I'm not your sister, and you get out. Oh, no, Mr. Bragg. No, no, please, please, Mr. Bragg, Bragg, we find this intensely interesting. Go on, please. You can't tell me he's not infested with germs. Then go and get your gas mask now. Shoe, scat, skedaddle. Uh, please, uh, won't you take a seat? Thanks, Bo. I've seen all these books through the window, and I figured that maybe you could help me out. In uh, what way, young man? With this quizola they got on the radio. This what? Quizola? Corn Crunchy's Quiz Quiz. Send in a hundred box covers, and you stand to make a little dough. With my opportunities, I got about 3,000 box covers together. Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor and actress that is the most memorable. For me, I would say it was, there was the one creepy line that Professor Magenbach has with the um, <laughs> the terrible sex data line. Yeah, but other yeah. than that, he kind of was, I liked him a lot, but Oddly ultimately takes it for me, Professor Oddly. I think. Yeah, that's yeah. mine. Yeah. Richard yeah, I Richard think, Hayden. I yeah, Richard Hayden in this well, just with the the Genevieve scene and then you get the the uh upstick part. 
the quarter scene as we talked yeah, about. I just like, yeah, just... I think he's he's phenomenal. And I can't tell if that's like I don't know if they always imagined that Professor Oddly would have all of those like the upstick and the the quarter. Like, did they really plan that, or did they go this guy is funny I, 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 and I they're bet. gonna hand him that that part? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Like, because like that you could easily foresee. I think that like those jokes went to other other actors right exactly it feels very like uh one-sided in some in some cases right uh with that yeah i would agree i don't know maybe yeah uh, he was the he, he was the younger youngest of the group yeah but was portraying like the oldest, oldest of the group and the wisest with the most expertise on marriage but no yeah i think yes i think he's great uh richard hayden please think of me as an elder brother or father, uh, anxious to send you off properly. As we all oh, are, yeah, of course. Now, <clears throat> uh, tenderness. <clears throat> that is what I advocate. Tenderness and patience. <clears throat> Genevieve was a watercolorist. Therefore, after the wedding reception, we went straight to the Catskills. Uh, we spent there a beautiful week, filled with... Uh, promise and return to new york with 14 excellent watercolors mm, 14 watercolors. Uh, back in new york i flung my enthusiasm into preparing a lecture uh, the flora of the catskills whilst genevieve painted a flight of swallows around the walls of our living room all right gene hackman mvp award person who carries the movie i i actually would probably choose uh howard hawks on this one um, yeah, because I think okay. to me, um, and maybe even Billy Wilder, like, you know what I mean? Just like the writing and the directing I felt was really strong. We've already talked a lot about, you know, the framing and the movement and the the decision to leave like a lot of these wide shots and, and create yeah. that. I think that for me, he took it over. I just, I, I don't think that Gary Cooper's performance was strong enough. And I do think, especially after hearing what you said, that really resonated with me that like, maybe that's why I don't feel like this movie is solidly, you know what I mean? And I don't, and yeah. personally, I love Barbara Sandwick, but I don't feel like she was in the movie really enough to say that she carried the film. I, by your face, I, I sense it's that fair. you disagree. No, 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 I just, no, I don't no, no, no it's a she... fair statement. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, my pick was Barbara Stanwyck, but yeah. you bring up a valid point that she is, she's not in there in the opening part, uh, and then she kind of disappears. Yeah. Um, in the end uh, of Act 2, beginning of Act 3. She's yeah. She's pretty gone. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I, you, I'm still going to say her. Okay. Um, you can pick. You can pick Howard. Hall. It can be divided. It's totally fine to have okay, co MVPs. Great, great, great. We'll have yeah, to I'm not saying. I'm not saying your vote doesn't matter here. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, and isn't it weird that I'm not? I like. I'm not choosing her, but I just feel like she. And I don't feel like that's a fault of hers. Like I don't necessarily no, think that. No. But the Gene Hackman Award is who carries the film. <laughs> can you really carry the film if you are not in it very much? <laughs> I mean, she was I mean, in it. I mean, she was in it. I don't want to. It's fair, but it's yeah. it's 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 a fair point. Um, but sometimes you don't play the most minutes in the game, but you win the MVP. That's kind of right. how I see All it. All right, I respect that. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I can respect that argument. 
Um, yeah, I love that. I think that's pretty pretty great. No, but I, no, there's a great. Well, you can you can argue Billy Wilder because it is an idea that came from a short story of his that stayed with him for yeah. decades, essentially. And I do think the writing was. I mean, I, I liked the dialogue. It might have been slower than I would have liked, but the dialogue yeah. itself was was good. Like I don't feel like it was. You know, I mean. Yum yum might have been a little too much for me, but yeah, yeah, I mean the yeah. rest of it, like there wasn't. Uh, so who are you going with? I'm going with Stanwick. Who do you I, have? I I think I'm still gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, ooh, so I've got to choose between Howard Hawks. I'm gonna. I I am going to uh, abstain, and <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like no one is the MVP. <laughs> no, um. God, I thought this was easy. Um, I'm just going to concede to Barbara Stanwyck. No, you know what? I'm not. I'm going Billy Wilder. I think... Stick your ground. I... No, I'm going Billy Wilder. I think that the writing for me was good enough. I think that that is what redeemed it were the common... You know, the moments of comedy, the moments of levity. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, yeah. Wow. I didn't expect that. I'm going to regret this decision later. I have a lot of anxiety about this. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> How about that slang? It's not finished yet. What? There's a lot of words we haven't caught up with. For instance, do you know what this means? I'll get you on the Amici. No. Of course you don't. An Amici is the telephone, on account of he invented it. Oh, no, he like, didn't. Like, you know, in the movies. Oh, I see what you mean. They're very interesting. Make no mistake, I shall regret the absence of your keen mind. Unfortunately, it is inseparable from an extremely disturbing body. All right, I'll go, only don't show. I'll leave sometime tomorrow. Not tomorrow, right away. But I tell you, I've got I a... insist, Miss O'Shea. Oh, Crab Apple Annie. Listen, Potsy. Crab Apple Annie? Why, well, that implies that I'm puritanical and narrow-minded. Yeah. I am a perfectly normal man with perfectly normal instincts. At an awful high boiling point. Not even that. I, too, have been acutely aware of your presence. You have? Twice, to be exact. Once when you leaned over my shoulder to correct my spelling of the word boogie-woogie, I could feel your breath on my ear. And yesterday afternoon, when you happened to stand against the window with the sunlight in your hair. What'd you do about it? I, I left the room, dipped my handkerchief in cold water and applied it to the back of my neck right there where the nerve center is. That's cute. Uh, final questions. If you remade the film today, which you can't in this context, uh, but if this Correct. film was remade today in present day, who do you cast? Uh, great question, Brandon. How many people do you have? I have, I, have, uh, I have two people, by the way. I have two people. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. I'm going to start with the side characters, and then I'll give you my okay. two big ones last. Okay. So f let's start with Mrs. Bra Miss Braggs, because I'm 99% positive that no one is going to know who I'm talking about when I say this person. Um, I chose Joan Plowright. For, for those of you who don't know Joan Plowright and were born after 1990, um, this is the woman who played Nana in 101 Dalmatians, the live action with Glenn Close. And she also played Mrs. Wilson in Dennis the Menace. Oh, that is a big pull. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I told, like, I knew that was going to be hard. But immediately when I saw this character, I was like, that is, you know, Joan Plowright. Fun fact, she was married to Laurence Olivier. I was just reading so, that, So, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, pretty cool. Not that a woman is only merit meritable by her relation to a man, but she is fantastic. Um, so then I cast uh, Professor Magenbach because I thought he was funny. Um, I said Martin Sheen. 
for for uh for, for the creepy sex data dude who like copy. you know okay. but it was mostly because of his reactions um okay. i could just see martin sheen like playing into that and being goofy and taking that um okay joe lilac all right are you ready for this i'm ready for that i'm ready for the internet hate on this one um or maybe just you and thomas i don't know <laughs> i said ryan i said ryan gosling or mark Wahlberg. i mean i would say ryan gosling more okay I love great ryan okay. gosling more no i love ryan gosling i actually that's why i'm worried is that people wouldn't like him in this like mean joe lilac role you know no, that's I mean? fine we're thomas and i are big gosling guys Big Gosling guys. Gosling guys. That should be the name of your next podcast. Gosling guys. <laughs> we just see do Ryan Gosling's Gos- filmography. Yes, exactly. Gosling guys. Gosling yeah. guys. I mean, hey, the Gilmore guys did it. Um, yeah. But they had seven seasons worth of material. Um, <laughs> and a Netflix special. Okay, so yeah, I think Ryan Gosling for Joe Lilac. For oddly, uh-huh. I chose one of my favorite actors, one of my favorite people in general who does not get uh-huh. enough love in my opinion and that's Michael Caine. I Michael love Caine's him. Yeah. I think he'd be such a great like old professor who can bring some wisdom. You yeah. know what I mean? I love that. Um all right, I think that was 1 2 3 4. Yes, yeah, so the last two. I'm going to do O'Shea first because I'm concerned about okay. the, this one. This one was really hard for me. But ultimately I settled on Anna Paquin. Okay interesting uh-huh 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 think like circa right now anna paquin and even some rogue she's got that kind of like energy yeah i yeah i've never seen true blood so i can't i, I oh, uh we're gonna have a conversation after this yeah it's okay but anna paquin would be one of my choices she's she's got this like toughness to her that i think she would bring to the role that would be really great um but she can also kind of have this like soft like kind of funny side to her which i really like the other option i had for this role before settling on anna paquin was margot robbie i i had thought about margot robbie as well actually at one point yeah um i think robbie could be good um i think she does have comedic talents that you've seen a little bit in like birds of prey uh or even focus weirdly it's not from any of her films that i actually came to this decision have you seen the graham norton interview where margot robbie talks about her love of harry potter no I have margot not. robbie is talking about like her nerd love for harry uh-huh. potter on graham norton and it was one of those moments where i was like she could easily fall for this like nerdy professor bertram <laughs> care you know what i mean like she could yeah. really she could really fall for that guy and be in love with him i could see her but she's also like super intense and you know yeah i she was she was one i thought of uh the other one i thought of was scarlett johansson eh, uh, eh. i'm not a scarlett johansson fan because she she i think she she did a, a coen brothers movie uh hail caesar which I, i'm i'm very mixed on that movie but it's a screwball comedy i should uh, say i don't really hate scarlett johansson i just think she's overrated like a genuine like there are lots of other women out there that can play these characters i i, I like margot robbie in that role as well so i'm just i'm just saying the person i had down okay uh, okay that i think could play it's the who could play the nightclub performer and then switch to the other kind of character yeah that's fair uh but yeah who, who's your professor potts this is like the only one i'm a hundred percent certain positive without a shadow of a doubt on and we'll fight you if you disagree joseph gordon levitt okay yeah I'm super 100% positive that that would be amazing. He would be so cute and so funny. And I feel like he'd be a little bit, have a little bit more charisma than Gary Cooper did. 
to bring to the role. He kind of has that... He's got the Richie Cunningham, but he's a little bit funnier than that, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that would really do this role justice. Okay. I like it. Do you want to hear my pick for that? Am I going to like it more than Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I feel you'll, like I'm going to. You'll find to. out. Oh, God. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Uh, Chris O'Dowd. Oh, my God! <laughs> I would love that! Yes! I am here for that! Yes! I love that! Oh, dang! I was going to fight you for Joseph Gordon-Levitt! And you're like, can't fight Chris O'Dowd. I can't even can't. fight you! You can't. Oh, my I think God. I'd I think love he'd be Chris perfect. You'd be so perfect for this. I think it'd be great. He'd kind I think of it's... be bumbling a little bit, like maybe a bumbling yeah. professor. Yes. And that's what I that's why I think Jimmy Stewart would have brought to this role yeah. is why. Yeah. And I Good think Chris call. O'Dowd would do a great job with that. Oh yes. And Chris O'Dowd and Mar- Margot Robbie. Yeah. Oh, be great. That sparring, that would be fantastic. Well, there you Man. go. Ladies and gentlemen, we should do this. You and I should do this for a living, I think. Yeah. We're yeah, we're I guess we've called the Cinnation adaptations. Is yeah. What <laughs> I love it. All right, let's move on to the last two questions. Uh, does this film fit with any other genres? It's a romantic comedy, I think. Yeah, but I guess screwball is a. It's a subgenre of romantic sub-genre. comedy. Yeah, yeah. So, but still, yeah. I mean, mob movie, gangster movie, a little bit. Like it has that it has that side thing. It's not a gangster movie, but that has gangster <laughs> tendencies. You know. <laughs> yeah, gangster <laughs> tendencies. I would say it was yeah. um, obligatory. 1940s gangster gangster trend. gangster adjacent yeah gangster, gangster adjacent. adjacent yeah i think it's a, a screwball comedy i think it fits exactly where it's supposed yeah. to be I, yeah I, yeah i think it's there yeah. um and then how does this film fit within the screwball comedy genre um i'll be honest with you after doing a lot of research on this genre for this podcast which i used maybe 10 percent of tonight but um you just had to have it i had, had to, to have it, it. i know i yeah. know um i true i feel like it's a weak a weaker kind of one of one of the weaker ones that i've yeah looked through and seen this is more of a deeper dive into the genre right absolutely than say his girl friday yes absolutely yes and i think there was more to talk about because maybe there were some more problematic issues in this movie so maybe there were some things to talk about you know what i mean but i don't necessarily think that it yeah, I just don't think it's as strong. And I can understand why this is not one of Howard, like one of the movies that Howard Hawks is like. No, it's it's one of his known. lesser lesser films. Yeah. But I, I think it's a very interesting, because I said it's a kind of a footnote on a lot of these people who are involved. And because of that, I think it's uh, interesting to look at um, and kind of see. And also kind of seeing the time period of it like being the last comedy you see before Pearl Harbor or like that's like being made. All right, comes out. December 2nd, right before America gets involved in World War II. So you're seeing like that world mm-hmm. before it changes and this genre dies off. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it was already going down a little bit, but I think like World War II just kind of really just gets rid of it completely. And this is like the last one right before that happens. Right. So I think that's why it's kind of worth looking at. Well, I think that's it on Ball Fire. All right so go watch it it's on multiple streaming services so you can see it if you haven't seen it already yeah everyone make sure you subscribe to Cination Podcast and our podcast Spotify Stitcher or your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen on we love hearing what you all have to say and those reviews really help increase our visibility 
And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next week, we'll be closing out our month of Screwball Comedies with our director episode. We'll be taking a journey the career of the possi possibly the most famous Screwball Comedy writer-director, and that's Preston Sturgis. Uh, he directed such films as The Palm Beach Story, Sullivan's Travels, and The Lady Eve, which also starred Barbara Stanwyck. Amy, thank you for joining me and coming back on the show. You're so welcome. Next time, I hope that I know a little bit more <laughs> about whatever I'm talking about. But yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, which is good. Yeah, we, I loved having you on. And to our listeners, thank you for being with us. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.